but they led me astray. You see, I used to get lost a lot, um, especially when I was driving. Nowadays, not as much because I have a cell phone and I put the GPS on, but sometimes I don't charge it, so I still have that problem. But um, when I was about 20 years old, I had worked um, for a month in the summer at a Christian camp in upstate New York, and I lived in northern Virginia at the time. So it was a long drive. It was like 9, 10. It might have even been 12 hours. I'm trying to think back. But I was uh, – I don't know if you, what you do on long trips, but, you know, you kind of go through. You put a CD in. Well, back then it was CDs, right? And so you switch radio stations. I don't know. You play games like trying to, I don't know, counting license plates, whatever it is. But I did it about everything. And this was a long trip. I was getting sleepy. I was drinking lots of coffee. Finally, we got into New, I got into New Jersey. I'm driving by myself. And I started following this one car, and it was like the perfect escort, right? They were going like, you know, probably about seven or eight miles past the speed limit. So I was like, you know what? If they get pulled over, it'll be fine because I'll just be the person following them, right? So I was weaving in and out of traffic, following him, just spacing out for a good, like, hour and a half. And finally, as I was looking around following this person, I was like, wait, I don't think I'm on the interstate anymore. <laughs> and I had... Uh, Without paying attention, I had followed the person right off the interstate in New Jersey and started was heading toward the beach. And um, all I had to do was just stay on 81, Interstate 81, and I, you know, I would have been home, got 66, and went to D.C. I would have been fine. But so I realized it, made the correction, turned around, and uh, you know, extended my trip another uh, hour, hour and a half because I was following the wrong person. You know, I think all of us can uh, think of times when we followed the wrong person in life. Uh, Again, you know, maybe back when we were a kid, maybe as an adult, we followed someone who gave us wrong financial advice or uh, a business deal gone bad, someone we thought we could trust, and uh, they betrayed us. Uh, recently, I just have one more other quick story that uh, talks about following the wrong person. I, I drive a 2001 Toyota 4Runner that's parked over there. It has almost 300,000 on it. It looks a lot better than it is, okay? It just has a good engine. Everything else is slowly decaying and falling apart in that car. When it rains, the water leaks through, this, uh, through the, the, the window and starts hitting me on the knee. So, it, you know, I've tried silicone everything. It's just slowly, like, dying, right? Well, the other day I went to the beach, and I put my wallet in the glove box and locked it just so, you know, if someone broke in, they'd have a harder time, you know, finding my wallet or getting it. And I came back into the car and tried to open the glove box. My key wouldn't work. So now my glove, you know, my wallet's stuck in the glove box. So I go home, and I look for who's an expert on this. Why not YouTube? So I go to YouTube, and I find a video, old forerunner, glove box that won't open, and there's a guy. I don't know why he posted this video, but it's of him trying to get in the video. By the end, he gets a crowbar and just starts smashing the thing to get it open, and he goes, well, sometime you have to do that. And I'm like, okay, I'm not following this guy's advice. So I drove to my mechanic, uh, Jim, who lives you know, here on the island or his place is on the island. He goes, YouTube? Really? He got a screwdriver, hit his uh, hammer on it, opened it in about 30 seconds, and uh, I was in my glove box. You know, in the same vein, uh, many, many years ago, uh, when Calvin Coolidge was president, he invited some of his friends from his hometown, and they were very nervous. They'd never been in the White House before, and they were invited to a, uh, a dinner with them, and they were very concerned about their table manners. They had never been to such a fancy place. They couldn't believe they were there. So they had a strategy. They said, we'll just do everything the president does. We'll follow him. Well, it succeeded at first until the coffee was served, and President Coolidge poured his coffee into a little saucer. So all the guests did the same thing. 
Then he put a little sugar in it and some cream and stirred it, and they did the same thing. Then he took the saucer and he put it on the floor to feed his cat. So sometimes the people we follow don't always lead us to the right place. You know, this morning, what I'd like to talk to you about is somebody that we can follow, somebody that uh, can guide us as we go about the bigger things in life, the most important things in life, our family, our friends, our spiritual lives. What's the whole purpose of life? As we look at scripture, we're going to find this is really good news because this guide has our best interest in mind. This guide created us. He knows everything about us. He helps us to be in a right relationship, not only with God, but helps us to be in a right relationship with other people. And he gives us purpose in our lives. And if you haven't guessed, this guide is Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with him. This is the same Jesus who said to his disciples, come follow me. The same Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So how do you access this guide? Well, this season in our uh, church calendar, for those of you who are new to this kind of liturgical church, we have green hung everywhere. And I've told this in a lot, a lot of my sermons over the summer. Green is a sign of growth. So this guide that I'm talking about has growth in our mind, has growth planned for us. See, following Jesus begins with a decision for us and a decision to grow. And it starts with a declaration. It says in the Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So as we uh, dive into scripture this morning, we're going to look at this a little closer. What it means to proclaim that Jesus is Lord in our lives. What it means to understand that he is our guide. And what it looks like to follow him in our life. So first, let's look at that Old Testament reading in Joshua. By the way, that was a good job reading it. There was a lot of long names in there, and uh, I wouldn't have known how to pronounce half the things in there. But um, this is a great moment in Old Testament history. Joshua has led the people to the promised land. Remember, Moses had passed away and had passed the baton to Joshua. They would conquered all these people after they had crossed the Jordan, and they're up on this mountain with all the people, all the tribes that are, uh, that are in Israel in the promised land. And Joshua uses this opportunity. He's an old man at this point. And it's kind of his last important words to them. He said, now is the time for us to make a stand. Now is the time for us to recognize that we need the Lord in our lives, not these other gods. Not to live lives that are all about us, not to live lives of evil. So Joshua doesn't uh, mince his words. He says this very clearly. He says right here in the scripture, now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So he throws that challenge to the people. It's decision time. It's the crossroads time. What are you going to do? And the people say and they respond this, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along the way that we went, and amongst all the peoples through whom we have passed. 
It goes on to say, therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So the people made this declaration. They decided from this point forward that they were going to be faithful rather than faithless. They were not going to go after these other gods and try to live life on their own terms, but they were going to submit themselves to the Lord. In our New Testament reading, Peter and the disciples that didn't desert Jesus did the same thing. So everyone else was finding Jesus' teaching a little too difficult. They didn't believe who he was. They didn't trust him. And Jesus asked Simon if he was going to leave too. He asked uh, Simon Peter, that is. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Jesus had challenged the disciples to fully identify themselves with him fully, completely, and intimately to trust him with their lives. And Peter responds in the right way. Surely you have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. So Peter, too, and the other disciples made this declaration of faith that they were going to follow. They were going to trust the Lord as their guide. But here's the problem. The rest of the story in each of those uh, didn't necessarily end well. The first generation of people after Joshua, they did well. They followed the Lord. They kept that, they, they, their proclamation. They lived into it. They didn't serve other gods. But the next generation forgot all about it. The next generation uh, went and did their own thing. It says uh, the people served the Lord throughout their lifetime of Joshua. Um, but after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They worshiped other gods and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So in spite of their, uh, the first generation's uh, declaration, this proclamation they made, it didn't last. And then if you know Simon Peter's uh, story, even though he made this big proclamation that Jesus had the words of eternal life and that he was the Holy One of God, when Jesus was at his darkest moment, he and the other disciples boldly ran away. They're like, we don't want to be a part of this. We're scared for our lives. So our decisions, sometimes our proclamations, the things we say, they don't always last. Our words sometimes don't measure up. Our hearts, even the best of us, sometimes grow weary. But then the cross happened. Jesus died for our sins, for our selfishness, for us trying to do life on our own terms. For us being afraid of death and being scared and trying to live life like that, he died on the cross so that each and every one of us could be reconciled to God. He conquered death. Just like the Passover land, uh, lamb did with, uh, Egyptian, uh, with the Israel when they were in Egypt, Jesus was the Passover land. By his blood, we were set free. Just by the Passover land, uh, lamb that the uh, Israelites were set free. We have been set free. And for these disciples, for Peter, when he was reinstated, once he saw the risen Jesus and realized that this was true, Jesus had died for their sins so that they could have forgiveness, they could have access to God. Jesus gave them this challenge, follow me. But here was the difference this time. Peter did follow the Lord. And here's why. Jesus sent him and the other disciples and the early followers the gift of the Holy Spirit just like he sent every uh, believer since, 
And the people had the power to live the Christian life. That their proclamation that's saying that Jesus was Lord, they could live into this. So they no longer had a dual citizenship and that they had one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. They dove fully in into Jesus' kingdom. And their lives were different. They were fully identified with them. They had new hearts. As the Apostle Paul uh, said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. They had a new ID. When I was in high school, I was involved with the Ministry of Young Life. And the guy who founded it was a Presbyterian minister. And he talked about his conversion when he found out what Jesus had done for him. And how that changed his life. And I love his words and his passion he said jesus did something tremendous for me so much that when i think of it teardrops start so much that i'll never be able to thank him so much that wouldn't make any difference if i never had another happy moment if i could just please him and honor him and show him how thankful i am he suffered for me and just the just for the unjust to free me from the curse of death and give me a new life see this is what the lord has done for each and every one of us from trying to live our life on our own terms to following other gods to serving the God who is real, who knows us, who created us, who brings us life and brings us life to the full. So when we proclaim this and we identify this, the Lord doesn't leave us there because this faith that he's uh, brought us into, this proclamation requires movement. See, the early believers One of the names for them was the way, and they were called the way because they lived lives in a different way. They had 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 a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and their personal encounter made them live life in a very different way. It was no longer living for themselves, trying to look good on the outside. They have been changed uh, from the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit, and people saw something different. They lived life in a completely different way. They loved people like others had not seen. They cared for people who others uh, left alone. In the time of the Roman Empire, oftentimes infants were left exposed. That means if someone didn't want a child, they would throw it out in the, uh, into the elements to die. It's like a form of euthanasia. These early Christians were champions of gathering these orphans and raising them up to know Christ. They took uh, literally the commandments to look after widows and orphans. This whole song we sang when we were in Sunday school, they will know we are Christians by our love. They lived that out. And for 2,000 years, people who followed Christ and it's real to them, not just words, understand that this ministry that we're called into is a ministry of movement, of living out the love that we have in our heart, the love that we have received from Christ. It says in Ephesians, Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Our faith makes us move. But it's not just a random movement. It requires discipline. See, this journey that we've been calling to, this guide, that uh, Jesus, that who's guiding us through life, it's a disciplined life. I bet none of you ever had a coach. I was preaching on Wednesday, and I brought this quote from a book, and the book said, This was probably not your best coach. Your best coach never said, hey, guys, um, I have no expectations whatsoever. Just do whatever you want. 
Nobody had a great coach like that. And if they had a coach like that, they never said, now that was a great man or that was a great woman. See, a, a good coach stretches people. They make people uncomfortable. They help people to realize they can do things they never thought they could do. See, the Christian life, when we live with the power of the Spirit, the Lord says, you know what? You're worthy to be part of my family. I've empowered you to do great works, to live out the faith, not to have a static faith where you just put it on a shelf or it's all cerebral up in your head, but it's a dynamic faith where you live it out. Apostle Paul loved to use sports analogies, which I always liked. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He said early, run in such a way as to get the prize. For him, the Christian faith was not only proclaiming, was not only moving and acting, but it was a disciplined life, a daily life of laying down his life for Christ. And that's what we're called into as well. The other thing on this journey, we proclaim it. That's how we start the journey, as I said before. We move. We start walking with Christ through life. It takes discipline to stay on the path, but it also involves others. We're not alone. Now, if you heard my sermon on Trinity Sunday, I talked about this Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are invited when we're believers. We're invited in this holy family. And we're also invited into this holy family, the body of believers, so that we don't have to live life on our own. One of the reasons Joshua, that generation, was so successful with holding on to this proclamation was they were together in it. They said, we will do this. It wasn't just, I will do it. Paul reminds us to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fill the law of Christ. And I love uh, the words in Hebrews. Most people think Paul wrote this as well. Uh, this is the Phillips version, which was a, a paraphrased version of the 70s, but it, um, it reads so well. It says, and let us think of one another, and we can encourage each other to, to love and do good works. And let us not avoid church, as some do. Let us do all we can to help one another's faith. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit that's encouraging us to stay on the path with discipline, we have others that are helping to spur each other on to love and good deeds, to not quit to not get discouraged when uh, struggles come. And finally, our journey, our lives have a point. We have a destination. Apostle Paul says we are citizens of heaven. So we're sojourners here. That means we're journeying along. This is not our final place. We're not holding on to everything. We're not like King Tut. We're going to bury all our possessions in a big tomb one day, hoping that we'll be reincarnated and have all that stuff again. No, we have a heavenly home awaiting us to all who believe. Death does not have the final word in anybody's life who's a believer. With that being said, when we understand that, when we realize that, just like the apostles did, we live lives of courage. Struggles don't have the final word in our life. Depression does not have the final word in our life. Defeats don't have the final word. Because Christ has won the victory on the cross, our journey has a destination. We are calling other people to know Christ. So they too can experience eternal life that begins now and extends beyond the grave. The grave doesn't have the final word for any of us here. We're on a road to somewhere. We are citizens of heaven. Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now the prize awaits. So as I said, if you didn't hear me very clearly, 
we're all called to proclaim, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's how we begin our journey. We're all called to move in our faith, not just to sit there just with a bunch of knowledge in our head. We're all called to live disciplined lives where daily we recognize this. We're all called to walk with others and know that we're not on this journey alone. We have other believers, this community of Christians all over the world that are helping us to walk the fight the good fight. And we have a destination. So what are you going to do with this message this morning? I encourage you, if you put your faith on a shelf, if it's been head knowledge, submit your life to Christ. He is somebody worthy to follow. He's the author of your life, knows everything about you. We'd be foolish not to look to him on how to live life. Let the redeemed of the world say so. Apostle Paul says, tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him die himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For all those who are seasoned believers here, which are many of you I know, it's a daily thing. We get discouraged sometimes. We get numb. But we're called not to quit. We're called to encourage each other as we go on this journey. Our identity is in Christ, and we help to tell each other over and over again who we belong to so that we don't get discouraged. Finally, as we walk with the Spirit, I always say finally, take that back, because I have more points than just finally, but uh, when we embrace this message, when Jesus is our guide, we follow him. He fills us with good things. He fills us with the fruits of the Spirit. If you've read scripture in Galatians, you know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know that sounds like a mouthful, but when you're connected to God, just like I use the parable of being connected to the vine, you have fruit, and fruit is for other people. Our ministry, following Jesus, always brings us to relationships with others, helps us to right what is wrong. Helps us to bring peace and patience in this world, kindness, goodness, love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. I encourage you, again, whether you're a seasoned believer, you put it on a shelf, or maybe you don't believe at all, to trust Christ with your life. Follow him today. Continue to follow him today. Bring others along with you. We never were meant to uh, do this journey alone. And know this journey that we're on has a destination. This is not just it. We as a church are called to do that together, collectively, to encourage each other. And when we do this in this world that is so uh, full of change right now, when Jesus is Lord of our lives, we become a faithful presence. I was reading a book review, and the guy was talking about how we're called to become a faithful presence in a changing world. In other words, Jesus is the rock. He is the one thing that doesn't change. And we as a church, when we collectively follow Christ together, we have a mighty witness because we have the presence of Christ in our lives, which does not change, which is not flippant. His presence in our lives can change lives. It can transform the hardest of hearts. And he lets us be a part of that, and that is unbelievable.
This faithful presence is what we're all called to be. Let me leave you with an example. Years ago when I was uh, in youth ministry, I didn't feel like I was doing a good job in this place. I was getting a lot of kids out, but it all seemed kind of surface. And I remember there was one kid who started coming, and he was a, uh, a kid who grew up in a pretty poor background. He was kind of destined to work in the factories that were all dying around this town in southwest Virginia. His dad worked there. His mom worked there. Um, his parents were divorced. Had probably a lot of things stacked against us. He was very intelligent, though. And uh, I was looking on Facebook recently. I've kept up with him through the years. He not only graduated with seminary, from seminary, he just got ordained in the Presbyterian Church as a minister. Only one in his family to graduate from uh, college. Only one to graduate uh, from grad school. Um, now he's a minister who loves the Lord. And um, I, I just said to him, man, I'm so proud of you. You know, we we're kind of, we we're instant messaging. And he said, he goes, it all started because you befriended me. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, because like I said, I really didn't feel like I did much. But what I'm telling you is all of us can play a part in this journey that God has called us to, of bringing others to faith, of encouraging each other. Sometimes it's the littlest thing, befriending somebody, praying for somebody. When I say littlest thing, those are not little. When you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, God uses us to do amazing things. So this morning, I do want to conclude. This really is a conclusion, not one of my finals, with Psalm 1, because I think it describes to us what the journey is supposed to be about when we're connected to the Lord. In this psalm, the writer uh, contrasts those who want to live life on their own terms, the wicked, and those who want to trust Christ or trust the Lord with their life. It was written in the Old Testament before Christ, but ultimately for us to trust Christ with our lives. Listen to the contrast. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Tree planted by streams of water. That's the kind of life he gives to uh, each of us. That's the kind of guide he is. He brings us life and life to the full. He makes us part of his plan to bring others to know salvation, to know the Lord, to know that hope that we can become a faithful presence in this ever-changing world. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for trying to do life on our own terms, for putting you on a shelf, for making you uh, not God in our lives, but something lesser. Lord, this morning, no matter where we are at, give us the courage to follow you, to trust you, to admit that we can't do life on our own. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can be a faithful presence in this ever-changing world. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to extend that love to other people. Thank you for leaving us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.